control. Control. Everybody say control. control. Hey, uh, we all love it. Uh, some of us, uh, we love it more than others. Um, we stress about it when we don't have it. We hate it when we don't have it. Um, we recognize this love of control in other people faster than we recognize it in ourselves. Uh, matter of fact, we see this play out really quickly and really clearly um, in a person who loves control when we invite them to take a ride with us and they get in the passenger seat. And, and then with them in the passenger seat uh, and us driving, sprinkle a little traffic in the equation. And, and what you'll see is they'll begin to gesticulate in the seat beside of you. You know, they'll begin to jerk and they'll begin to break the floor. Sometimes they'll reach for a steering wheel that doesn't exist in front of them. <gasps> they'll gasp. They'll, mm, they'll just turn. Sometimes they just close their eyes. You know, we all... See this from time to time, and it's like, oh, you, you love control, don't you? Uh, people who don't like to fly, people who's afraid of flying. Um, maybe that's you. Maybe you know somebody who's afraid of flying. Uh, most of the time, uh, people are afraid of flying because it's all about control. It's not about, you know, being 30,000 feet in the air and possibly falling to the ground. Uh, it, it, that's part of it, uh, but ultimately, it's not about that. It's about control. And, and those people who hate flying, they say, oh, I would just rather drive, though statistically, it's more dangerous. What, you would rather do something that's statistically more dangerous? Yes, why? Well, th what they don't tell you is because, well, I like my chances because I'm driving the car. I'm in control. Um, so to some degree, we all like control. And, and the fear of losing control is one of the most common uh, of human emotions. And it's rooted in our desire, your desire, my desire for autonomy, for certainty, for safety. And autonomy, certainty, and safety, the desire for that motivates us to want to control outcomes. Um, and that can be really unhealthy. We can try to manipulate outcomes. We can try to dominate outcomes. And, and, it, and it's all out of a fear of losing control. And, and the reason we fear losing control is because it makes us feel vulnerable, and, and we don't like that so much. It makes us feel exposed or at risk or in danger or powerless. And we don't like feeling powerless. Uh, we don't like powerlessness in the face of uncertainty. We would rather have the power. We would rather have the control so that we can take what is uncertain and make it certain. And so this whole idea makes me wonder, and I'm just thinking out loud here, uh, but I wonder if a lot of the anxiety and panic and fear um, that a lot of people feel, perhaps you, uh, perhaps me, the frustration that a lot of people feel, um, the resentment that a lot of people feel, the uh, toxic emotions that a lot of people feel, and really just the general sense of unhappiness that a lot of people feel. I, I wonder if it's not somewhat connected to, some not related to, uh, that it's not because of the fact that we have a tendency to want to control what we can't control. And when we try to control what we can't control, it never works out very well for you. It never works out very well for me. When we try to control what we can't control, it just leads to frustration. It just leads to anger. It just leads to a lot of negative emotions. But, but here's my question uh, as a follow-up to, to this idea. How often do, do any of us stop and think about all the things that we can't control? If we have a tendency to try to control what we can't control, how often do we actually think about what we can't control? I mean, we can't control what people do. We, we would love to be able to control what people do, but we can't. We can't control what people think. We can't control what people say. We can't control what people believe. We can't control how people behave. Um, we can't control how people feel about us, how people treat us. We can't control whether or not people like us. 
Uh, we can't control the weather. We can't control traffic. We can't control the government. We can't control the economy. We can't control what has happened or what is yet to happen. Uh, we can't control who our parents are. We can't control who our families are. We can't control every aspect of our health. We just can't. But when we try to control what we can't control, it ultimately undermines the quality of your life and my life. When we try to control what we can't control, whether it's from that list or any number of other things that we can't control, when we try to control what we can't control, I promise you, we've experienced this, and I promise you when we think about this, we know this is true. It strips us of peace. It strips us of joy. It strips us of the ability to have deep connection. It robs us of life. It doesn't give us life. When we try to control what we can't control, in the theological world, we would say that we're trying to play God. And you know what I'm not a very good version of? I'm not a very good version of God. And you know what you're not a very good version of? You're not a very good version of God. So when we try to play God, it actually works against us. It undermines the quality of our life. So let me take this idea and, and let me walk it a little bit further. Not only do we have a tendency to control what we can't control, we have a tendency to want to control what we can't control and neglect what we can control. So we spend all of our time, all of our energy, all of our bandwidth to control what we can't control, to manipulate outcomes, to dominate outcomes, to control outcomes, even though we really can't, but we neglect what we can actually control. And here's the thing, when we actually take responsibility for what we can control, and you take responsibility for what you can control, and I take responsibility for what I can control, what I've discovered, and I bet you've discovered the same thing, that when I take responsibility for what I can control, opportunities for a better life present themselves. Opportunities to become a greater version of myself, it presents itself. And that's what this series is all about, because the only thing we can control in this life are our thoughts, feelings, and behavior. That's the only thing, that's it. You can't control anything else. I can't control anything else. I, I cannot, do not have the power to control anything else, but I do have the ability and the capacity to control my thoughts, my feelings, and behavior. Matter of fact, let's all just get this out. Let's hear ourselves say it. And hopefully throughout this series, we'll actually begin to believe it. Ready? At all of our campuses, let's read it together. The only thing we can control in this life are our thoughts, feelings, and behavior. Now this time, I, I want us to make it personal. And I want us to say the only thing that I can control in this life are my thoughts, feelings, and behavior. Ready? Let's go. The only thing I can control in this life are my thoughts, feelings, and behavior. So again, it all starts with thinking. It all starts with our thoughts. It all starts with being able to control our mind or our mindset. When we take control of our thoughts, as we talked about last week, we are taking control of our life. Because when it comes to fundamental change in your life, fundamental change in my life, sustainable, lasting change, the change that we all want, the change that God invites us to, the change that Jesus leads us towards, fundamental, sustainable, lasting change begins with changing our thinking. Because when we change our thinking, when we change our mindset, we get unstuck. We get set free from patterns of toxic thoughts, 
unhealthy behavior. And when we begin to think different, it unleashes the potential that God has in your life to become what he has called you to be. It unleashes that potential in your life when you begin to think differently. Because God has placed potential in you, potential for better, for stronger, for greater, for deeper. God has placed that in you. That was in you when you were born, and God has wired you with that potential already inside of you. And all you have to do and all I have to do is to learn how to change my mind, to change my thinking. And so the good news is in this series is none of us have to remain the same. We don't have to settle for status quo. We don't have to settle for less. God created you in what the psalmist said, in a fearfully and wonderful, wonderful way. And when God created us in a fearful, wonderful way, it, it means that in, in many ways, God baked in the ability for you to change. God baked into your life the capacity for you to change. That nobody's beyond change. Change is not about your personality. Change is not about your intellect. Change is not about your grit or your discipline. or you know All of those things have their place. But at the end of the day, your capacity to change and my capacity to change was hardwired into you and me by our creator, our heavenly father. He gave us the capacity to change when he gave us the ability to control our thinking, to change our thinking. So I told you last week, we're gonna look at a lot of the same verses over and over again because I'm gonna approach this series a little bit different. I believe this can really change our lives. I really do. I think that this absolutely can be something that becomes of such value for you and value for me and value for us that this is something that really will impact the quality of your life for the rest of your life and the same for me as well. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna say a lot of the same verses week after week because these verses kind of cultivate our thinking in the direction that I think the scripture invites us to think. So listen to these words of Solomon once again and, and just get it into your heart, get it into your, get it into your mind. He says, for as he thinks within himself, so is he. In other words, our thinking establishes our reality. Um, oftentimes when I read the scriptures and, and when I like to read the scriptures out loud to myself uh, at different times and places, uh, I like to make it personal. Uh, so I, I wanna take this verse from Solomon in Proverbs and I, I wanna make it personal. And in my Bible, I write out beside of it, for as I think within myself, so am I. Um, for as I think within myself, so am I. It's really easy for me to say, as he thinks, who's he? Well, it could be you, it could be them, as she thinks. You know, it just seems a little bit impersonal and it almost forces me to think externally. But, but when I internalize it and I personalize it, for as I think within myself, so am I, all right? So I'm, I'm gonna ask you to participate some today because uh, we're gonna dig a little deep on some things and I need you to stick with me and I want you to keep your energy up and your focus on uh, because this is worth your time, this is worth my time and, and this is important, all right? So let's, let's all read this together. For as I think within myself, so am I. So my thinking establishes my reality, how I experience Reality. That, that's what Solomon is saying. And it's absolutely profound and it's so insightful and it's so full of wisdom. And as we talked about last week, this simply means that the quality of my life is connected to the quality of my thoughts. The quality of my life is connected to the quality of my thoughts. And again, when we, when we read things and, and when someone says things, it's just not what they say that's important. It, it, it's what the opposite is that's also important. The quality of my life is not connected to what you say or do. 
The quality of my life is not connected to how you believe or how you behave. The quality of my life, if this is true, and I believe that it is, the quality of my life is not about you or them or what's happening in the world. It's not about circumstances. It's not about information. The quality of my life is connected to the quality of my thoughts, regardless of what you do, what you say, how you believe, how you behave, and regardless of what's going on in the world. Because our thoughts are moving in the direction of our most compelling and most reoccurring thoughts. So those are the words of Solomon. And then we looked at familiar words of Jesus that I hope we never think of the same way again as we thought about for most of our lives when we heard these words. It says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And we thought it was all emotional and we thought it was something so spiritual. But, but you look it up and you understand that Jesus, his first sermon was, hey, change your thinking, change your mind, change your mindset. Jesus could have started anywhere. And Jesus could have said anything, but he started with an invitation for us to change our thinking because Jesus obviously knew, but I think he said it uh, just as much to make sure that we know that if we want to change our life, we have to change our thinking. If our thinking doesn't change, our life will never change. So Jesus, he invites the world, his first sermon, he invites the audience, he invites the world to spend some time thinking about their thinking which is uniquely human. We're, we are ac actually able to think about our thinking. We, we, can, we can kind of take a step back and observe our thoughts, which is you know, pretty mind-blowing to think about. Again, we're fearfully, wonderfully made. So God, he, he wired us to be able to think, which, which is impressive enough, but we can actually think about our thinking. And we can step back and we can pay attention to how we're thinking. And that's what Jesus is saying. You should... Spend some time and think about your thinking. And the invitation is clear. I want you to reconsider, redirect, reverse, reframe your thinking in the direction of life, in the direction of joy, in the direction of peace, fulfillment, meaning, purpose, significance, contentment. All the things that we read about in the New Testament that are so attractive to us that we want to become reality in our life, that we want it to be manifested in our life. Jesus said, I want you to spend some time thinking about your thinking and reframe, redirect, reverse, reconsider your thinking and make sure it's in the direction of life, joy, peace, hope, fulfillment, meaning, purpose, contentment, significance. He says, because if you will direct your thoughts in that direction, those things will become manifested in your life. Those things will be realized in your life. These things that we love to think of, of being supernaturally imparted, that, that there's some type of spiritual cathartic epiphany that happens in your life and my life, and then all of a sudden, we've got all of these things, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, meekness, temperance, all of those things that the New Testament speaks of in these wonderful qualities that characterizes a high quality of life, an abundant life that Jesus talks about. Jesus says, that begins with a change of thinking. Make sure your thoughts are going in that direction if that's what you want manifested and realized in your life. So he says, spend some time thinking about your thinking. And then Paul comes along and Paul says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed, be changed by the renewing of your mind. Literally, again, change your life by changing your brain. 
You can change your literal brain by changing your thoughts. And when you change your thinking, you change your life. And so Solomon, Jesus, Paul, they, all, they give us a framework uh, for us to think about our thinking. So I, that's what I want us to do. I want us to think about our thinking. And I want us to begin with last week again. Because again, this all is going to overlap week after week. And, and, and it's all connected. Really, this whole series is not individual sermons. It's just one big sermon that I don't have that much time in one setting to do. Nor would you want me to. But I would accept the challenge if you ever offered it. No, I'm just joking. So let's think about thinking, and let's think about the fact that our thoughts are consequential because everything begins with a thought. Now, as we think about our thinking, and you think about your thinking, um, experts tell us that we think somewhere between 12,000 and 60,000 thoughts a day. Um, I know some people, I, I'd bet much less, but hey, whatever. 12,000, 60,000 thoughts a day. Um, uh, one professor from Stanford, uh, Professor Luskin, he says that he believes it's 60,000 to 80,000 thoughts a day. And, and so I don't know, but anywhere, you know, in that spectrum, that's a lot of thinking. That's a lot of thoughts. Um, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of thoughts go through your mind every single day. And again, God wired us this way. We are thinkers uh, as human beings. That's one of the characteristics of, of being human. We think. We think when we're, when we're awake. We think when we're not awake. We think when we're thinking about thinking. We're thinking when we're not thinking about thinking. We're always thinking. So thousands of thoughts a day. But, but here, here's where, this is where it gets important. And again, a good pencil, taking some notes, putting it in your phone, that's just good for all of us because uh, this helps our mind begin to receive what it is that we're hearing. So I, I would encourage you to Put this stuff down. But 90 to 95% of our thoughts in the course of a day, out of those thousands of thoughts, 90 to 95% of those thoughts are repetitive. They're just on repeat. So that means that what we're doing every day is, by, by and large, we're just thinking the same thoughts over and over again, which, again, reminds us of what Paul said. You can't be transformed. You can't be changed by thinking the same thoughts over and over again. You have to think new thoughts in order to experience new change in your life. You are transformed by the renewing of your mind, by thinking new thoughts, thinking in a new direction, expanding your thinking, elevate your thinking, improving your thinking. So 90 to 95% of our thoughts are repetitive. Uh, and that explains why so much of our life is a pattern. So much of our life is just habits that we don't even think about. Uh, so many of our thoughts are patterns and habits, or as we'll notice later on in the series, Paul calls them in a letter to the Corinthians, he calls them strongholds, strongholds. They're, they're anchoring, limiting thoughts that have just, they've wired themselves into our way of existing. And, and we think about them without even thinking that we're thinking about them. And, and that helps explain why a lot of us get stuck, why a lot of us have a hard time changing or adjusting uh, because we're just thinking the same things in the same way over and over and over again. And that explains why we lack the quality of life that we desire and the quality of life, the abundant life that Jesus promised. So not only as we're thinking all of these thousands of thoughts, and, and not only are 90 to 95% of our thoughts repetitive, but, but here's the thing, and we'll talk more about this in just a minute, but I just want to put it out there so you know. Maybe 75 to 80% of our thoughts, experts believe to be negative. So you, you can see how powerful thousands of negative thoughts a day would be. So, so this is a big deal, and this is why Jesus speaks about it, and Solomon speaks about it, and Jesus speaks about it. Because as we're thinking, 
And these consequential thoughts that we have, not only does our brain change and connections form and connections are reinforced and undergirded, but as we think our bodies, our biologies change. God created you mind, soul, and body. Now, a lot of people believe in the trichotomy of man, and that's just, that's just goobly got for, it's not important. Uh, some people believe in, in the, you know, the dichotomy of man, that we're just soul and spirit. It doesn't matter whether we're three parts or two parts, but at the end of the day, I believe that we are, are, we're mind and body, that so, our soul is part of our mind, and you know, that God, he created us this way. He didn't create you to be divorced from your body and your mind. Your, your mind and your body, that's who you are. And God wired you that way. And when you think, not only does it change your brain, but it also begins to change your body. When you have a thought and I have a thought, chemicals are released. That, that's a physical thing. Your DNA is unzipped. That, that's, a, that's a physical process. Uh, proteins are formed. Connections in our brains are constructed. Uh, again, there's electromagnetic fields that emerge. There, there's electrical charges that are fired. These are all incredibly physical things. So, you know, these electrical charges are fired and there's connections made and there's signals going on. And, and it's just a really amazing thing. You can go on to the next slide for me if you would. So as we're thinking and as we've got these thoughts, not only are all this electromagnetism and electrochemical stuff going on, but photons are activated. That we can actually now see on a screen in imaging. It's physical. There's vibrations. There's frequencies that can be measured when you have a thought. And here's the thing. This is why this is important. So, well, I, I, I got to sit down for a minute. Those thoughts that you have, those thousands of thoughts that you have, those 80% negative thoughts that you have, that I have, they don't stay in our head. They flood our body. They change the biochemistry of our body because that's how God wired us. And now science has caught up to scripture, which is wonderful. Science has caught up to scripture because science now knows that healthy thoughts have healthy effects on the body. And unhealthy thoughts have unhealthy effects on the body. Because thoughts are as real as viruses. Thoughts are as real as bacteria. And our thoughts, like bacteria and viruses, they infect us on a cellular level for good or for bad. That's why toxic thoughts are quite literally toxic to the body. When you have a toxic thought, stress hormones, homocysteine levels, blood pressure, breathing, your immune system gets suppressed, all of this stuff happens as a result of thoughts, unhealthy thoughts undermine your health. Healthy thoughts undergird our health. Well, I don't think this is very spiritual. We'll take it up with John. He said, because I believe that it's God's desire for you to be in health. So, uh, so again, I don't have time for people like you. But uh, let me just tell you, th this is important. I heard somebody say that in their mind, if you're wondering. And, 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 and they were sitting somewhere. I don't know where they were sitting. It just kind of crossed over. So we know this. You've heard of the placebo. How many has heard of the placebo effect before? You heard of that? Okay, some of you, some of you never been around before, apparently. Uh, but the placebo effect started in World War II, and I'm just telling you how God wired you. This, this is why this is important. World War II, soldier gets mortally wounded. They bring him in. They're getting ready to do surgery on him. He's writhing in pain. He's getting ready to go in shock. The doctor says, I need the morphine. The nurses, we're out of morphine. And the guy, is just, the guy is just convulsing in pain. I mean, he, he's, he's gonna go into shock and he's gonna die. 
One nurse kind of freaks out a little bit and she grabs a syringe full of saline and she tells the doctor, I found morphine. And the doctor doesn't know what's in it. And the doctor looks at the guy and says, we found morphine. This is gonna help. This is gonna calm your pain. This is gonna keep you from going into shock. And I think we're gonna be able to save you. He gave him the shot of saline. Guess what? The guy's pain decreased. He didn't go into shock. And eventually the guy survived. And when the doctor found out about it, when he came back to the States and he went to Harvard, he began to introduce what we now call the double-blind placebo testing of drugs and medication and treatment. Uh, our minds are powerful, and God wired us in such a way, again, <laughs> we don't talk about this, and I don't know why we don't. I don't know why we haven't talked about this in the local church. Uh, I, I really don't. Our minds have been created in such a way that our bodies respond to our mind in profound, powerful ways. You got the placebo effect, then you got what's called the nocebo effect. You have the ability to make, your sick, make yourself sick when you're not sick. You got the ability to make yourself sicker than what you are because of your thoughts. We can actually believe we're gonna die so much, we can actually die from the belief that we're gonna die. This is how powerful our minds are. Our minds affect our gene expression. Not the genes that we have, but the genes that we have, how they're actually expressed. Uh, Lynn McDaggart said in her book, this is, this is fascinating, she said, a sizable body of research exploring the nature of consciousness, carried on for more than 30 years in prestigious scientific institutions around the world, shows that thoughts are capable of affecting everything from the simplest machines to the most complex living things. This evidence suggests that human thoughts and intentions are actual physical something with astonishing power to change our world. Every thought we have is tangible energy with the power to transform. A thought is not only a thing. A thought is a thing that influences other things. So as we think about our thinking and we think about our thoughts are consequential, I wanna talk about one of the main consequences of our thinking and our thoughts and our mindset. I wanna talk about our emotions. And our emotions are not the result of what people do or what people say or experiences or circumstances or interaction or information. Our emotions are a result of our thinking. Our emotions are how God made us, how he made our physical bodies to react as a result of what we're thinking. Again, this is theology, this is biology, this is psychology, and this is where it all meets together because all truth flows from the God of truth. And what God has wired in, it's not only the scriptural revelation of God, but it's also what Paul referenced in Romans 1 and what the psalmist referenced in Psalms 19, that the world around us is a revelation of God. And when we begin to understand how God made us, we begin to understand what is true. And as we begin to understand on a scientific, psychological, biological means of what is true, and we begin to put it alongside of what we know to be scripturally true, we begin to find the path towards real, legitimate, exciting, potential-infused change. And this is where it brings us to our emotions because our thoughts drive our emotions. They trigger our emotions. They shape our emotions. Uh, our thoughts affect how we emotionally feel. Your emotions that you carry with you this morning or that you carried with you this week, it was a result not of people, not of things, but of thinking. And at the end of the day, it's our emotions. It's how we experience our emotions 
that define the quality of our life. Because you can have health and be emotionally miserable. You can have a lot of money and be emotionally miserable. You can have a lot of great people in your life, but be emotionally miserable. Because it's not things and people that ultimately shape the quality of our life. It's the emotions that we have based on the thinking that we've embraced. So in other words, our emotions are powerful. When you measure your life, you measure life not so much in time, but you measure your life in memories. And those memories are measured by emotion. Those memories are written in the ink of emotion. That's the reason you remember where you were on 9-11 or where you were when everybody jumped up and said, surprise, happy birthday. And it was like so emotional and so much surprise. God wires you that when a big emotion collides with an event, it gets lodged as a memory. There's so much of your life you don't remember. You can't recall because there's no emotion attached to it. Hey, what were you doing at 234 back on June 21st, you know, back in 2021? Only God knows. I don't know, but I guarantee if something monumental happened, if I was in a wreck at that time, boom, emotion meets event, memory. So we catalog our life by emotions. Our emotions are the soundtrack to our lives. And so we measure our life by times of happiness and sadness and sorrow and joy and exuberance and peace and all of these things. And we catalog our life. We measure our life. We tell the story of our life based on emotions. So God wired us for emotion. Well, you're just emotional. Emotional's not bad. Emotions are gifts from God. Our emotions are also the biggest motivator of why we do what we do. Well, I'm logical. No, you're not. We've done study after study. Well, I've not, but people have. And people do what they do based on emotion. But after the fact, they like to justify it with logic. That's how we're, we're wired. That's what we do. So emotions are really the driving force in our choices and our actions and the words that we speak. So our emotions, track with me for just a minute. I, I, they are the manifestation of our thoughts. That's what emotions are. And again, I point us back to our creator. That's how God created us. Our thoughts and our emotions, they manifest in our lives all the time. You see a snake, you're walking along a trail, you see a snake, you have a thought. There's an emotion. I mean, your amygdala, it just kicks in. It's crazy. And all of a sudden you run away. You know what happened? Your thoughts and emotion manifested itself. That's what happened. Your face has 43 muscles to manifest the full spectrum of human emotions that God has allowed us to experience. 43 muscles. Some of you, you haven't flexed them in a long time. But you should. They say we have 27 human emotions. I don't know. Could be more, could be less. Some say there's six basic emotions. Some say eight emotions. But either way, we, either way, we have a full spectrum of emotions that we feel. And those emotions have the power to bring a quality of life or those emotions have the capacity to rob us of a quality of life. If you're with me, say I am. All right. So energy, we talk about energy, the energy of our thoughts. That's what emotion is. Emotion, emotion is energy in motion. And it's kind of corny, but it is. It's emotion. It's energy in motion. When we think we create energy. That energy creates emotion. 
And those emotions result in complex chemical hormone reactions in you and in me. God put in us little neurotransmitters called peptides. They're little emotional molecules. And when you have a thought and have an emotion, it leaves your brain and it floods your body and my body with the message of that emotion, which literally changes the chemistry of our bodies. It changes the chemistry of our cells. These neurotransmitters, these little molecules of meaning, they're electrical charges, and they affect how our bodies and minds interact with one another. This is amazing. Listen, this is so much better than you're behaving right now, but I know how good it is and I don't need you to affirm it. I just need you to listen, all right? This is so good because God designed us in such a way that on every cell in your body, there's a little bitty receptor. It's actually like a little bitty electrical pump. And whenever you have a thought and then all those complicated reactions begin to happen, And those peptides, those emotional molecules, those little molecules of meaning begin to flood your body. They come up to each cell in your body and that little receptor awaits an electrical charge. So every cell in your body has that little receptor. And then a little charge is passed into the cell. Your thought is imparted into that cell. Your emotion is imparted into that cell. And it changes the frequency, the chemistry, and the function of that cell. I'm about to throw my chair. Because this, 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 if this doesn't teach us that thoughts are consequential, instead of us divorcing mind and body and the spiritual from the carnal or the practical or the flesh or whatever we want to call it, we've compartmentalized our faith for far too long to a detrimental degree. We are human beings and you cannot divide us out. God wired us in a way spiritually and physically and biologically and psychologically in a way that can work together in a cohesive way. So your body, my body, we're like a battery. We have a positive charge and a negative charge. Positive charge above our body, negative charge below our body. That means that we're like this battery as we go through life and we're giving off electrical signals. You know, you walk up and say, oh, you shocked me, electrical signals. We're also giving off vibration and frequencies. The closer we are to people, the more those frequencies interact with those people, the more those signals are received by those people, the more those vibrations are sensed by those people. And the closer they get to us, our frequencies, our energy, our vibrations, again, which started as a thought, which became an emotion, which flooded our body, is now being exported into other people, which means our thoughts and our emotions have consequences not only for us, but they leave a wake in other people's lives as well. So I already knew that, and you didn't have to give me all that information to make the point. But now you know just how consequential it is, not only for you, but for somebody else. And that your emotions are not only powerful, but they're contagious. Up to three degrees of separation through interaction, disposition, social cues. It's why experts call subconscious mimicry, that we, that we mirror each other that we begin to pick up each other's moods and emotions and the strongest one wins. That's how it works. That's how God wired us. 
Whoever's got the strongest emotion, it's, it's what gets picked up, it's what gets imparted, it's what get, gets reproduced in other people's lives. Is, is there a Bible for this? Well, yeah. Of course there is. Remember Proverbs, iron sharpens iron, so the countenance of a friend is made better by someone who's close? Why is that? Well, we, we just thought it was spiritual, abstraction, ethereal, but there's a wiring to all of this. There's a reason why my life affects your countenance and it affects your mood and it affects your life. Listen to what another proverb says. Don't make friends with a hot-tempered person or associate with one easily angered or emotionally out of control or you may learn their ways. What? Yeah, you'll absorb it and you'll begin to reproduce it. How about this one? Proverbs 17, a cheerful heart's a good medicine, not only for you, but for those around you. But a broken spirit, a nasty spirit, a bitter spirit, saps a person's strength. Not only yours, no, no, cupcake, just not you. <laughs> Sunshine, you rub on all of us. So emotions are contagious. They lift us up, they can tear us down. Parents, let's think about this. Moms and dads, our thoughts, our emotions, those meanings of molecule going through our bodies, that those thoughts that are just ours, they're my emotions, I own my emotions. You know, it's just I think what I wanna think, feel what I wanna feel. What are you offloading into the lives of your sons and daughters? Is it medicine or is it toxic? What are they absorbing from you? They're getting close enough to you, your frequency, your vibration, your energy, which started with your thoughts and emotions. What are you, what are you, what are you putting into them? Spouses? Friends? Teachers? Bosses? Our thoughts are bigger than us. Our emotions are bigger than us. Emotions are contagious. And listen, as Jesus followers, we're supposed to be light, not clouds of darkness. Paul said in a letter to the Corinthians, he says, we're supposed to be the aroma of life, not the stench of death. And it's like all of our life, we've heard these verses. It's like, oh, you know, I, I believe that, but I have no possible application for it. It starts with our thinking. It floods into our emotions, into our bodies. We export it into the lives of other people. We, as Jesus followers, should raise the atmosphere in every environment that we go into. That's the reason Jesus says you're salt and light. You raise the atmosphere. You, you're not a detriment to it. So our emotional state, my emotional state, it's either a gift or it's a curse to the people around us. So why are we talking about this? <laughs> because it's important. Because Solomon said so, Jesus said so, Paul said so. And the reason we're talking about it is because I want you to know that our emotions are manageable. They're manageable. And if you don't believe that it's possible to manage and control your own emotions, that would explain why you don't. That would explain why I don't. 
That would explain why we feel stuck emotionally, enslaved to the same emotions and the same feeling and the same emotional state over and over and over and over again because we're thinking the same thing over and over again and the same emotions happen over and over and over again. Emotions are not uncontrollable intruders unleashed upon us by people, circumstances, or unforeseen forces. And that's how we've grown up hearing emotions talked about. We can't keep saying things like, I just can't help how I feel. Really? That's just the way I feel and I can't change it. Or they make me, you make me feel so. Thought I was gonna say like a natural woman, don't you? I did. No, I'm not. And you don't. I can't sing. I, 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 will, I won't. Anybody would feel this way. Really? The fact is our thought created the emotion. Not them, not that. My thought. Therefore, my thoughts are manageable. And the consequence of that means that my emotions are manageable. I can take responsibility for my thinking. That also means I can take responsibility for my emotions. You say, oh, I don't believe that. You say, I don't believe that at all. Well, think about this, and then I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna close it down. Because I told you this week and next week, it's kind of like it just floods into each other. Think about all the scriptures in, this, in the Bible where God is giving you an imperative and giving me an imperative instruction on what to feel and what not to feel. See, we think of God giving us instructions and commandments about what to do and what not to do. And there's those. But how about this? James, half-brother Jesus, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Seems like James is under the impression we can manage our emotions. How about the Apostle Paul? Don't be anxious. What? And it's like, how can you tell me not to be anxious? Well, now we know how he can tell us not to be anxious. Because that anxiety started with a thought, started repetitious thoughts and toxic thoughts and unhealthy thoughts and that flood of emotion. And then we're anxious and we feel anxious and our hearts race and we get that heat going up the back of our neck. And it, and it don't be anxious, but have thanksgiving, gratitude, which is an emotion and peace. How can he command me to have peace? Wow, glad you asked. Because we can change our thoughts and direct them away from thoughts that lead to anxiety and towards the direction that leads to gratitude and peace. How about what Moses told Joshua? Don't be afraid. How can you just not be afraid? Don't be discouraged. It seems as though God is under the impression I can control that, I can manage that. Paul, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, be kind, compassionate. All of these emotionally charged. Or Paul, rejoice always. What? No matter the circumstance, no matter what you're going through. Or Jesus, we're Jesus people. Don't let your heart be troubled, overwhelmed, overcome, stressed, wrung out. In the world, you're gonna have tribulation but be of good cheer. Ah, that's an emotion we like. I've overcome the world. And one last Paul, give thanks. Give thanks in all circumstances. Over and over again, God gives us direction and instruction about what we're supposed to feel. 
And in doing so, he's reminding me I'm responsible for my emotions because I'm responsible for my thinking. And my thinking and my emotions, they lift up or they tear down. I don't have to go through life. You don't have to go through life blaming others for the way that you feel, blaming others for your emotion, blaming the past, blaming that season, blaming that event, blaming that experience. You don't have to play the role of the victim, and neither do I. God gave me the ability to control my thinking and in doing so to control my emotions. So we can take responsibility for our emotions by taking responsibility for our thinking. We need to stop blaming people and things. The emotions we feel about the things in our life come from the meaning we assign the things in our life. And we're going to talk about that in depth next week. Our emotions come from our interpretation of what's happening, not actually what's happening. You say, well, how do we do this? And I'm going to leave this with you, and this is, this is, this is the practical take-home until we talk about this next week. To change my emotions, I have to change my thinking. I have to change what I think things mean. And I have to begin to change the interpretation of the things that are happening to me and around me. And I do that by changing my focus. And for people of faith, for people who believe the scriptures, we know that our focus is supremely supposed to be on our heavenly father. Jesus, the author, the finisher of our faith. And when we set our minds and our hearts on God, it brings clarity to the rest of life. We see things differently as a result of that focus. When we're driven by faith, hope, and love, and we direct our focus in the direction of our heavenly father, it's, it's beginning to influence the way that we see things, the way that we think about things, the meaning that we assign to things, the interpretation of things, and ultimately how we feel about things. Job, he knew it. He knows the way that I take. But even though I go through the fire, he's going to bring me out. That's meaning. That's a different interpretation. Paul gets stoned, gets up, and goes to the next town. Why? Because he gave it a different meaning. Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross because he interpreted it different. Our belief about God will inform everything else we think and everything we feel as a result of what we experience in life. So, I'll leave you with this. What if our belief, our core belief, our, our ultimate focus was this idea here? God exists, God is good, he does only good. He works all things out for my good. He loves me, he's for me, he's with me, he's in control. He can do all things and he can be trusted. If we make this our focus, and we'll pick it up here next week. If we make this our focus, it'll change the way we think about life. It'll change the way we think about disappointments. It'll change the way we think about pain and suffering, betrayal, and even death. We'll give those things a different meaning. We'll interpret it different because we believe that God exists, that God is good, 
He does only good. He works all things out for my good. He loves me. He's for me. He's with me. He's in control. He can do all things and he can be trusted. Let's all just say that out loud together. God exists. God is good. He does only good. He works all things out for my good. He loves me. He's for me. He's with me. He's in control. He can do all things and he can be trusted. You ought to wake up every day this week and say it out loud. You ought to go throughout your day every day this upcoming week and say it out loud. Make it your focus. Make it the core belief of your life. And as you do, you'll see things different. You'll think about it. You'll feel about it different. And all of a sudden, the quality of your life begin to increase because you took control of your thinking and your emotions. Heavenly Father, a lot of stuff good stuff, true stuff. I pray that we absorb it, that it lands, it lodges, it anchors. God, just don't let it be a sermon. This is, this is, a, this is about adopting a new way of life. This is about new practices and new routines and, and new rituals. This, this is about how I wake up in the morning. This is about how I live my day. These, these are the things that I say to myself, that I remind myself of. These are my thoughts which shape my emotions, which leave a wake in my life and other people's as well. So God, remind us that we can control our thinking and we can control our emotions. And as we take responsibility for it, quality of our life can begin to be a reflection of what you've promised us and what you've called us to love and joy and peace and hope, meaning and purpose, happiness, fulfillment contentment and so many other things in Jesus name and everybody said